0: This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMayo. The guards rolled their eyes as they let the strange woman through the gates of Libby Prison. Elizabeth Van Lew was used to that sort of thing. Since she was a girl growing up in Richmond, Virginia, long before it became the capital of the Confederacy in 1861, people called her an odd duck. She was so headstrong and opinionated for a girl. And when she was marrying age, even though she was the daughter of a wealthy business owner, set to inherit a mansion in the center of town and a farm just outside. She had very few gentlemen callers. It seems her reputation kept them away. And when she was 25 and her father died this odd willful woman did something that confirmed to all of Richmond society that indeed she was a little nuts. She freed her slaves. And for the next 18 years while the country went down the road towards civil war Elizabeth Van Loo was the neighbor the people of Richmond would cross that road to avoid. She was the strange spinster who lived in the crumbling mansion, alone except for the black servants whom she paid. The First Union POWs started showing up at Libby Prison in late spring of 1861, right after the start of the war. And Elizabeth Van Loo did too. She arrived with cakes and bread and meat wrapped in cloth and books and Bibles for the prisoners. The guards decided to let her in. She was harmless. She was that woman they'd grown up calling Crazy Bet. Lately, she was the woman who didn't march in the torchlight parade to support the troops. She was the woman who talked about her ridiculous, unionist politics when others were singing the praises of the new nation's new president. For that matter, she was the woman who talked politics at all. She had to be crazy. And as the war went on, she seemed even more so. She stopped brushing her hair. She didn't bother to mend her clothes. She talked to herself incessantly. She would weave when she walked down the road. And the guards would laugh. They'd call her crazy bet to her face. And they would wave her through the gates. On the last day of February in 1864, three years into the war, Union forces were set to move on Richmond. 500 soldiers, led by a one-legged colonel named Ulrich Dahlgren, set out to free their compatriots locked up in Libby Prison. But the raid failed. The Union forces miscalculated the depth of a stream, and they had trouble getting their horses across. Dahlgren's men had to retreat. But Dahlgren didn't make it back with them. He was killed by a Confederate bullet. His body was stripped of its valuables, of his wedding ring, of the finger that wore it, and of his wooden leg, too. President Davis ordered that his body be buried under the cover of darkness in an unmarked grave a few nights later. Which was bad form, and Davis knew it. So later when Dahlgren's father, himself a rear admiral in the U.S. Navy, sent him a personal letter asking that his son's body be located and returned, the president agreed. But when the soldiers he dispatched to dig Dahlgren up opened up his coffin... It was empty. The whole thing was mysterious. Not just the case of the missing colonel. Something was going on at the prison. They had a prison break recently. Some prisoners, 60 of them, had escaped through a tunnel and then vanished. And then there was the raid itself. Why attack the prison at all? There were plenty of other targets. And why that night? Was it a coincidence that it was the same night the guards were transferring thousands of prisoners to a facility further south? Could the Yankees have known something? And then someone brought something up. Crazy Bet was at the prison every day. Now, she was crazy, and she was always talking to herself, but she was always talking to herself about overthrowing the Confederacy. Maybe this is something we should check out. Soldiers knocked on Elizabeth Van Leeuwen's door. She welcomed them in, let them search her house, and they didn't find anything. It was just a dusty old mansion with stacks of books piled near the doors. And the soldiers grumbled and walked away, shaking their heads at the strange spinster. A year later, in April of 1865, the capital was falling. Robert E. Lee's men could no longer defend it. Fires and panic were spreading through the city. Shells exploded day and night. Union soldiers broke down the doors of Libby Prison. And again, people came knocking on the door of Elizabeth Van Loo. And they were angry, because from the top of her house, for the first time anywhere in Richmond, in the four years since the war began, flew an American flag. And Elizabeth's neighbors had come to burn it, and burn her house down while they were at it. But Crazy Bet opened the door, wild-eyed and laughing and pointing at each of them in turn, calling them out by name. She said she was making a list that she would give to General Grant when he arrived in the city, so she could make sure his Union army could burn down each and every one of their homes if they laid a finger on hers. And the mob backed away from her door, because she just might do it. She was called Crazy Bet for a reason. Shortly after Richmond fell, there was another knock on Elizabeth Van Lew's door. And Elizabeth Van Lew, her hair combed, her clothes proper, her manner not at all crazy, opened the door and invited Ulysses S. Grant in for tea. And the two of them, the future president and the neighborhood pariah, talked politics and swap war stories all day. His were tales of four years of blood and valor on battlefields at Shiloh and Vicksburg and Cold Harbor and Spotsylvania Courthouse. Hers were tales of espionage, of four years playing crazy when she was really gathering information and spreading it out through a network of operatives, most of whom worked right there in her house, her former slaves. She told about how she would lend books to new arrivals at Libby Prison. And she would teach them a cipher that she had developed. And they would return the books, marking out messages in tiny pinpricks. And Elizabeth would pass the book on to one of her employees at the mansion in the city, who would pass the book on to one of her employees at the farm out in the country, who would pass it on to a union general out in the field. She told him about having overheard the plan to bury Colonel Dahlgren in an unmarked grave, and how she sent out one of her employees to mark that grave, and later to return to dig it up, and transfer the body to a metal coffin, and rebury it on her farm, so it could be given a hero's burial after the war. She told him everything, and he loved it. After the war, when he was president, he thanked her for her service. She received a soldier's pension, and he put her in charge of the Richmond Post Office. She was good at delivering messages after all. She was never well-liked in Richmond, though she lived there after she retired, until her death in 1900. Just she and an unmarried niece, and 40 cats, as the crazy old lady up the street.